Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse and its rider had a bow. And a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for denarius, and three quarts of barley for denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and with wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth, as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that we get to hear from you through your word. God, help us to uh, take this time serious. Lord, help us to take your word serious. Lord, help us to take these words in this chapter serious. God, help us to uh, take what we have written here. God, help us to apply it rightly and help us to uh, live it out, God, as you see fit. God, we thank you for this time that you have blessed us with to be able to gather together and hear from you through your word. God, please uh, bless my words as I preach this evening, God. Um, Holy Spirit, work through me. Uh, give me the words that I need. God, I pray that as we hear your words tonight, God, that our hearts would be changed, that our affections Uh, would be ignited towards you, God, and towards your glory. God, we thank you for who you are and for what you have done. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. (coughs) 
All right. So when looking at this book and even this chapter, it's easy to get bogged down and overwhelmed by all the imagery and symbolism that is contained. My aim this evening is not to really convince you of any particular viewpoint or anything like that. Uh, my aim tonight is to show you the supremacy and sovereignty of God through our Lord Jesus Christ throughout history. Before we get into the passage too far, uh, there's a couple questions that we need to answer. Question number one is, what does this scroll represent? And question number two, what do the seals represent? A few weeks ago, Ben preached on chapter five, and he mentioned that the scroll represented or contained the prophecy of redemptive and judicial events in history. So God's plan to redeem the world and judge his enemies. The description of the scroll being written on both sides indicates that it has a vast amount of information contained in it and that the scroll is complete. It's sealed up. Nothing can be added or taken from it. John's audience would have uh, immediately been reminded of Ezekiel, which Ben also mentioned uh, in his message. And in chapter two of Ezekiel, he's presented a scroll and it's written on both sides. And it contains the woes and lamentations because of the unfaithfulness of Jerusalem and God's judgment on them. And then in the next chapter, Ezekiel is instructed to eat the scroll and then to speak to the house of Israel and warn them of the coming judgment. Here in Revelation, we have a scroll written on both sides, but this time it's being opened. The seals are being broken and the contents of the scroll are going to be revealed. Now, this could be an argument for Revelation being partly about the judgment of the Jews and their rejection of Jesus, but we're not going to go there tonight. The main thing I want us to keep in mind is that God is sovereign over his creation. Jesus is ruling in heaven and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Next, we need to answer what do the seals represent? And there's a lot of debate about what the seals uh, represent, especially uh, the first four, the four horsemen. Uh, some argue that these are a kind of progressive set of judgments the seals are broken, and they're unleashing war and death. And then after that, uh, the trumpets uh, release more destruction, and then we have plagues, and then we have more bowls of judgment. So that's one kind of a progressive set of judgments. Uh, the view that I tend to lean towards more is that the breaking of the seals is more of like a preview into what the scroll contains. It's kind of like if you want to know what a book is about, you might read the back of it and kind of get the summary of what contains, what the contents of inside the book are. And here's a couple of reasons why I hold this view. So if the seals are a kind of progressive judgment, uh, when the sixth seal is broken and the earth quakes and the sun is blacked out and the full moon becomes like blood and the lamb comes to judge uh, the world, then it would seem like that might be the end of things. Another reason is that the events that take place when the seals are broken don't really seem to follow any kind of logical progression. 
Um, the horses come out killing. Uh, the saints pray to be avenged. The lamb comes to judge and destroy the earth. And then we have more destruction. So it doesn't seem to necessarily fit any kind of logical or chronological flow. So this is why I believe that the seals being broken is more of kind of like a preview about what uh, the contents are inside the scroll than actual judgments taking place. So before we go much further, I just want to be clear in saying that while Ben and I hold certain views about how we are interpreting things, uh, we don't want to cause any division or animosity among our fellowship. Uh, we need to be united in the essential things and give grace for the non-essential things. We'd also encourage you to be studying these things as we go through them for yourselves and discussing them with each other, either in your missional communities or in your DNA groups. I know in my DNA group, uh, we're also going through the book of Revelation and we've had some really great discussions and none of us necessarily hold the same views about anything, but it's, it's a really great way just to talk and kind of work through some of those details. Um, so I would encourage you to do that. So let's continue on to the first four seals being broken, the four horsemen. So I'm going to read through the first four seals, and then we'll go through them uh, one by one. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse and its rider and a bow had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be the voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for denarius and three quarts of barley for denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth, living, the fourth seal, I heard the voice of a fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. So here again, there are a lot of different interpretations and views about what these riders on these horses represent, especially the first rider on the white horse. Some say that it's the Antichrist. Some say that it's a Roman emperor. And others say that it's the gospel or the word of God. The view that I tend to lean towards more is that the rider on the white horse is actually Jesus. And I'm going to go through a few reasons why I hold this view. Uh, first, when the uh, rider is called to come, there's the sound of thunder that accompanies his coming. Often in the Old Testament, when God comes down to his people, he's accompanied with thunder. Next, the rider is on a white horse. The color white is often associated with Jesus in Revelation to symbolize righteousness and holiness. Even in Luke 9, during the transfiguration, Jesus appears in dazzling white clothing. In Revelation 1.14, Jesus has white hair like wool. In Revelation 2, Jesus gives 
a white stone to those who conquer. Revelation 19, there is a description of a, another rider on a white horse. And I'm going to read that. You can turn there if you'd like, or you can just listen along. Uh, Revelation 19, starting at verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems or crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on, the, on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So this description of this ride on the white horse in Revelation 19 is obviously Jesus. And so I would argue the rider on this white horse in Revelation 6 when the first seal is broken, is also Jesus. Uh, also, uh, the rider on the white horse has a bow. Uh, back in Psalm 45, there is a description of Jesus as a warrior. I will read that as well. Start in verse 3. Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and majesty. And your majesty ride out victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach your awesome deeds. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. So here specifically, there's not a bow mentioned, but there are arrows piercing the hearts of the enemies. In the Septuagint, however, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it says, and in thy majesty ride and bend the bow and prosper and reign. So here, this bending of the bow in the Septuagint of Psalm 45 correlates with the arrows in the hearts of the king's enemies. So I would speculate that that is referring to Jesus or describing <clears throat> this writer as Jesus. Also, the writer is given a crown. This symbol is of exalted rank or uh, victory. Uh, the rider on the right horse in Revelation also has many crowns on his head. Also, the rider on the white horse came out conquering and to conquer. And this word conquer can also be translated as overcoming. In Revelation 3.1, it says, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Revelation 5.5 says, Weep no more, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. Revelation 17.14 says, They will make war with the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. So here we have this rider. He's coming with the sound of thunder. He's on a white horse carrying a bow. He's given a crown, and he's conquering and to conquer. And there's one last distinction I want to make, because some people say, well, since this rider on this white horse is kind of lumped together with these other three horses, 
or other three riders just because they're all, you know, riding horses together. So they kind of lump them all together. Uh, but there's one distinction between the rider on the white horse and the other three riders um, that I'd like to, to point out. So in verse 4 of chapter 6, it says, And out came another horse, bright red, and its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth. So he was kind of given permission to take peace from the earth. He couldn't do it just of his own accord. He had to be given permission. In verse 6, of chapter six, it says, and I heard what seemed to be the voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for, the, for denarius and three quarts of barley for denarius and do not harm the oil and wine. So here again, this rider on this black horse is kind of limited in what he can do. He can set these prices for these certain commodities, but he touch the wine and the oil. So he's, he's limited, he can't, he can't do just whatever he wants. And then also in verse eight, of chapter six, it says, uh, and I looked and behold a pale horse and its rider's death and Hades followed him and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth. So here again, they are given authority, but only under a small uh, amount. Again, a quarter of the population is still pretty significant, but he's limited in what he can do. However, in the description of the rider on the white horse, there is no uh, qualifying. There's no limiting in what he can do. He is conquering and he will conquer. So he has full authority to do what he wants. So there I would make the distinction that this rider is set apart from the other three horses. So why do I make such a big deal about this? Why do I spend so much time talking about this? Uh, I think it's important for Ben and myself, as well as the rest of us, uh, to make sure that we're not letting our traditions or our previously held beliefs influence how we read the text. We've all been influenced by people and by um, you know, maybe other churches. Um, and I think it's really important that as we are looking uh, deeply into this book, that we kind of uh, keep those in mind, but not let them influence us as much as they might have in the past. Also, it's important to let the context be the king. What is happening in this time in history? Why is John writing this? Um, also, thinking about what these words mean to the audience that they were written to, right? Seven churches, what is going on in their context? And what do these words mean to them in that time? And then also making sure that we are interpreting scripture with scripture, especially if you can interpret one passage in one book with another passage in that same book, same author, same book. Hopefully they're using the same uh, analogies or descriptions. So um, I'll have to say that is why I hold the view that I have about this writer on the white horse. So let's uh, continue on and uh, talk about these uh, other uh, writers as well. So the rider on the red horse, when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come, and out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was per permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. So he takes peace from the earth so that people would slay one another. Some view this as the church being persecuted. The word slay in Greek that's used here is often used in reference to either Jesus being the lamb that was slain, so it's the same word, or in reference to uh, when the seal's broken and when the fifth seal is broken, the um, souls that were slain, 
um, it's the same word. So, so this could indicate possibly uh, the persecution of the followers of, of Jesus. The rider on the black horse, the third seal uh, being opened, says, when he opened the third seal, heard a third living creature say, come. And I looked and behold, the black horse and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of, our, of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for denarius and three quarts of barley for denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. So this is a picture of kind of like economic hardship. A denarius was a day's wage for a common worker. Uh, and a quart of wheat was about a day's worth of food. So if you were single, even if you're kind of poor, you could possibly survive. But if you had a family, it's going to be pretty tight. Uh, so it mostly affected the lower class people, um, the poorer people. And again, it's only a partial hardship, right? Some things weren't affected uh, as much, but those things affected were also more of a luxury item, oil and wine. They weren't necessarily for common people. And again, some would argue that this, this disproportionately affected the Christians in that area because of their, because of their faith um, and because of their beliefs. They weren't able to hold uh, higher positions to be able to make uh, the money they needed to, to earn enough um, to be able to afford more than what they, what they could. So again, this could be considered a um, type of persecution on, on the church. And then the last uh, writer, uh, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice of the fourth living creature say, come, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him, and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. So here the rider's name is Death, and Hades follows him. He has power. His power is limited to only a quarter of the earth. And he kills with the sword, he kills with famine, he kills with pestilence, and he kills with wild beasts. Now, when John's audience would hear this, they would immediately think of the words spoken by the prophet Ezekiel uh, in chapter 14 for us. I will read that now, starting uh, Ezekiel 14, starting at verse 21. It says, For thus says the Lord God, how much more when I send upon Jerusalem my four disastrous acts of judgment, sword, famine, wild beasts, and pestilence, to cut off from it man and beast. But behold, some survivors will be left in it, sons and daughters who will be brought out. Behold, when they come out to you, and you see their ways and their deeds, you will be consoled for the disaster that I have brought upon Jerusalem, for all that I have brought upon it. They will console you when you see their ways and their deeds, and you shall know that I have not without cause all that I have done in it, declares the Lord God. So this is a judgment from God on Jerusalem to those who rejected him. And some would argue that this passage in Revelation is talking about God's judgment on the people of Israel that rejected Jesus. And so it's a very soon coming judgment when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. So now we have uh, two more seals to go through. So 
just in case you were wondering or didn't know, we won't be getting to the seventh seal until chapter eight. Even though your chapter heading probably says the seven seals, while scripture is the infallible word of God, your chapter headings are not. So you'll have to wait a couple weeks. So the fifth seal, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So thinking back to the Old Testament, um, the blood of the sacrifice was poured out under the altar. So here we have those saints who have been killed and their blood's been poured out for the word of God and they are under the altar. And there are some who hold the view uh, that these saints were potentially the prophets that God had sent and that were killed because of their prophecy. So they were crying out, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? The souls plead to God for justice. But this justice is not to satisfy their own desires. It's to judge and avenge those who have persecuted God. When Jesus confronts Paul on the road to Damascus, he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He's not talking about his people. When Paul was persecuting the church, he wasn't persecuting Jesus in person. He was persecuting the church. But Jesus saw that as an attack on him, on Jesus. Every act of persecution and rejection on God's people is ultimately a rejection and persecution against God. So these souls were given white robes and told to rest a little longer. God is patient and waits to bring forth his judgment, and he clothes the saints in white robes, covering over their blood with his holiness and righteousness. And then we come to the sixth seal being opened. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth and the moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as, fig, as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. And the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks and the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb, for the great day of the wrath has come. And who can stand? So here we have a great earthquake, the sun being blacked out, the moon becoming like blood, stars falling from the sky, the sky machine, islands and mountains being removed. And this is also a description that Jesus gives in Matthew 24 in the Olivet Discourse. Here Jesus foretells of the destruction of the temple, 
Jesus describes the end of the age. He talks about the abomination of desolation. And here in Matthew 24, starting in verse 29, he talks about the coming of the Son of Man. It says, Matthew 24, verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not be given its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in the sign of the Son of Man, all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So who are the people in this uh, image, in this description that are being um, judged or um, hiding in the rocks. We have the kings of the earth, the great ones, the generals, the rich and powerful, the slave and the free. So it's a very all-encompassing group. Nobody is safe from the wrath of the lamb. They're hiding themselves and calling for the rocks to fall on them to hide from the wrath of the lamb. And again, whatever your view is on this judgment, whether it's happening to uh, or in Jerusalem when the temple falls in 70 AD or when Jesus returns in final judgment, whatever the case, no one will be able to hide from him. So while this chapter does seem to have a lot of judgment and wrath and destruction and war and disease and death, it is overwhelmingly and unapologetically all about Jesus. Jesus is the one worthy to break the seals. Jesus is the rider on the white horse. Jesus is the one carrying the bow. Jesus is the one who was given a crown. Jesus is the one who is conquering and to conquer. Jesus is the one who gave permission to the rider on the red horse. Jesus is the one who spares the oil and the wine. Jesus is the one who gives authority to the rider on the pale horse. Jesus is the one who is sovereign, holy, and true, whose souls cry, who the souls cry out to. Jesus is the one who will judge and avenge the blood of the martyrs. Jesus is the one waiting patiently for the number of their brothers to be complete. Jesus is the one who will return and the earth will quake, the moon will change to blood, the stars will fall from the sky, and the mountains and islands will be removed from their places. Kings and generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, will try and hide from the wrath of the Lamb, the righteous one who will judge the living and the dead. And on that day, no one will be able to stand. So, there are basically two groups among all the other characters uh, throughout uh, the book of Revelation. There are those who will receive God's judgment, the wrath of the Lamb, and there are those who will be redeemed, who will benefit in the salvation from the Lamb. If you're in the first group, your only hope is to repent of your sins and to put your faith and your trust in Jesus before the wrath of the Lamb comes. 
If you're in the second group, then you need to continue to be a faithful witness for the word of God and to pray to God for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these words that you have given us. We thank you for uh, your truths and your promises, God, that we can hold on to even in the midst of persecution and seeming chaos. God, we thank you that you are sovereign, that you are in control, that you are restraining those persecutors. God, we thank you that you hear our cries. We thank you that you're patient. Lord, help us to be uh, full witnesses to your word. God, help us to boldly and confidently uh, proclaim your gospel. God, help us to uh, take part in the uh, rescuing of those who uh, might face uh, destruction. Lord, we thank you that we get to be a part of your redemptive plan. God, help us to be uh, faithful workers to that end. In Jesus' name, amen.